Wellspring podcast is presented by Wellspring of Life Church, a community of faith, hope, and purpose. If you have your Bibles, would you open them up this morning, please, to drum roll. <laughs> First Kings, we're in the Old Testament. First Kings chapter 16. We're going to start there. And so in order for us to appreciate the effectiveness and greatness of an individual, and in this case, we're talking about a man by the name of Elijah. And so this morning, we're beginning a series looking into the life of, of this guy. I think it's appropriate, so, so needed for our time and in, in which we are living. And so in order for us to really appreciate their effectiveness, like this Elijah, it's important that we understand both their times and the historical context in which they lived. And so just real briefly backing up a little bit before Elijah came on the scene, uh, we know that Israel was one nation, 12 tribes making up the nation. They had three kings. They had Saul, David, and Solomon. But at the end of Solomon's life, there was a fellow by the name of Jeroboam who had rebelled against him. And when Solomon did die, he saw his opportunity to siege some power. He took the throne and as a result was really the reason and the person behind Israel actually splitting in two. It wasn't an even split. Ten tribes went to the north. Two tribes went to the south. The ten tribes in the north were known as the northern kingdom. When you read in the Bible and you see Israel in the book of Kings and Chronicles, that's who it's referring to, the northern kingdom. The southern kingdom, the two tribes that went there, are referred to as Judah. Northern kingdom, southern kingdom. Now, there's a term that the Bible uses to describe the kings that ruled in both kingdoms. One of them was, and he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. The other term was obviously the opposite of that, right? And he did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Now, in the southern kingdom, there were some of them that it says they did right in the eyes of the Lord. However, in the northern kingdom, where there were like 19 kings until Assyria came in and wiped them out, carried them off into captivity, and actually were never ever heard from again. Of those 19, not a single one of them did right in the eyes of the Lord. Every single one, it says, did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And so it is into this kind of context that Elijah does show up on the scene. So I just want us to get a feel for this. That's why I've had you turn to 1 Kings chapter 16. We're going to pick it up at verse 23. As we look at the sixth king and the seventh king in this succession of 19, just prior to Elijah. Verse 23. It says in the 31st year of Asa, king of Judah. Now, what kingdom is that? Southern kingdom. So it makes a reference to that, and then it jumps back to Israel. Omri became king 
of Israel. I've given him a nickname. I hope you won't, that you won't make fun of me for this. I'm calling him Henri Omri. <laughs> he became king of Israel, and he reigned 12 years, six of them in Terza. He bought the hill of Samaria from Shemur for two talents of silver and built a city on the hill, calling it Samaria. And the reason it's telling this, telling us this is because he had moved the capital of the northern kingdom from Terza to Samaria, okay? So after, he named it after, calling it Samaria after Shamir, the, the name of the former owner of the hill, verse 25. But Onri Omri did evil, there it is, in the eyes of the Lord, and sinned more than all of those who were before him. He followed completely in the ways of Jeroboam. Now, there's the guy that I mentioned. He was the guy who was the reason for the split. He's the guy who kind of rebelled against Solomon, who was pretty bad guy, did a lot of evil. He says he did even worse than him, committing the same sin Jeroboam had caused Israel to commit, so that they aroused the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, by their worthless idols. So we see here that he's the sixth, number six king. He has does more evil than even any of his predecessors. But after his death, they made the people of Israel made his son the king, the seventh king. His name is Ahab, verse 29. And so in the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, Ahab, son of Omri became king of Israel. I've got a nickname for Ahab too. Sad, bad Ahab. <laughs> He's a bad dude. He became king of Israel and he reigned in Samaria over Israel 22 years. Ahab, son of Omri, and then listen to this, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. <laughs> That's not good, right? He not only considered it trivial to commit the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nabat, but he also married Jezebel, daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians. In other words, a pagan nation. And began to serve Baal and worship him. He set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal that he built in Samaria. Ahab also made an Asherah pole and did more to arouse the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, than did all of the kings of Israel before him. Now, for us to really get to know and understand this seventh king by the name of Ahab, it really is important that we get to know a little bit about his wife, Jezebel. Though her father, as we read here, was the king of the Sidonians, actually the king of all Phoenicia, as I mentioned, an extremely pagan nation, she, in other words, she, she would have been no stranger to the world of politics. Ahab's marriage to her from the very get-go was unlawful according to the law of Moses. But he acted as if it was absolutely no big thing at all. Just kind of nothing to worry about. Snubbed his nose at the law of God. Did not care about it one bit. Jezebel 
brought with her the worship of Baal, which was considered an extremely detestable religion, even by other pagan nations at this time. One of the most horrible aspects of Baal worship existed in the realm of human sacrifice. When there was a time of drought, it was supposed to mean, as far as they were concerned, that Baal was angry at them because of, for whatever reason. And so in order to get his attention and to somehow appease their false god, they would literally offer their firstborn child as an offering, as a burnt sacrifice offering, burning that child alive. There is so much more that we could say about this um, ugly, horrible, depraved religion that we won't even bother. It's just so bad. Terrible religion. It existed to gratify the human depravity that exists. Baal was a Canaanite god, and it was believed to have controlled both the rain and fertility. It's important to remember that as when Elijah does come on the scene in the announcement that he makes. So the influence of the queen during Ahab's reign was actually greater than the king's himself. She was anti-Jehovah in her actions and she would stop at absolutely nothing to make sure that it was going to be her way or the highway and even plotting murder in the process. After this point and at this point, when we look back at King Ahab, he managed, as we read here, to be even more wicked and do more evil than anyone who had come before him. And folks, that is saying a mouthful. Because if you were to read back and look at these king after king after king in Israel, they were just a bunch of gangsters. One of them was king for an, an entire six days. <laughs> Reason being because he had assassinated the king. He took that spot. The general of that king that got assassinated didn't like what just happened. He assassinated that guy, and he became king. And it was on and on of that kind of stuff. Bad, bad stuff. And so when it says that he did more evil than any of those who came before him, that's a lot. Please do not miss that. So let's pick it up at verse 1 of chapter 17, 1 Kings 17, because this is where we are first introduced to Elijah. He just drops out of nowhere, <laughs> comes on the scene. Now Elijah, this is how, he's, this is how we're introduced to him. This is how he, in, he is introduced in Scripture, in the Bible. He's not been mentioned until now. Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishba in Gilead said to Ahab, that's the king, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except by my word. Now remember, the God that they're worshiping is whom they think is the God of rain. And Elijah comes on the scene and right out the chute challenges that. 
And so kind of like a thunderbolt that flashes across the night sky, Elijah shows up out of nowhere. This verse tells us that he's from a place called Tishba in a region known as Gilead. Now, this place, as much as we can gather about it, was a rough, rugged, mountainous area known for its high peaks and for its deep valleys. It actually, when you were to look at a, an old ancient Bible map, it, you would see that it just kind of ran along the eastern side of the Jordan River, along in between the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea. And that was kind of like known as Gilead. And so it's in that northeastern part of that Jordan area where he is from. It's a rough place, a rugged place that Elijah shows up from. Now, this gives us a pretty good indication of the kind of guy that he was. In other words, when he showed up in the king's palace, he wasn't wearing an Armani three-piece suit <laughs> and patent leather shoes with his hair slicked back, you know, and all this kind of thing. No, this gives us a pretty good indication that Elijah was probably and came across and looked like a, a mountain backwoods kind of guy. So whatever, imagine, you, whatever kind of picture you get in your mind who Elijah is. When he stepped onto the scene and began his ministry, his methods and his mannerisms and his message were no doubt as rough and as rugged as the place that he called home. Now, evidently, you know, I mentioned that he didn't show up in a three-piece suit, but how he probably did show up, we get a good, again, a good indication of it when we jump ahead into 2 Kings chapter 1, verse 8. Now, when you jump forward, there's a different king ruling at that time in Israel, and they're not serving God. They're still, you know, into Baal worship. And so he gathers an envoy of guys, and he sends them off to another nation, a pagan nation, because he wants them to inquire of Beelzebub to get some information, whatever it is he's looking for. On their way there, Elijah shows up and stops these guys. And he says to them, what? Is there no God in Israel that you've got to go to another nation and inquire by Beelzebub, a false god, to get whatever it is you're looking for? And basically, Elijah says, if I were you guys, I wouldn't go. If I were you, I'd turn around, because if you continue, it's not going to be good for you. They take him at his word. They don't know who he is, but they take him at his word. <laughs> Elijah must have come across as something, don't you think? They go back to where they came from. The king says, what are you doing here? And they explain to him. They say, hey, this guy showed up on the trail told us that if we go, not good, and so here we are. And the king says, describe him to me. That's where chapter 1, verse 8 of 2 Kings comes in. It says, they replied. He was a man. Now, I'm doing all of this to let you know that he's not in a three-piece suit, okay? He was a man with a garment of hair <laughs> and with a leather belt around his waist. And you know what the king says? Oh, that was Elijah. <laughs> I love that. And if you're familiar with Mark chapter 1, verse 6, it's pretty much the exact same description 
that were given of John the Baptist as well. Now, interestingly, Elijah's name in Hebrew is actually pronounced like this, Eliyahu. Okay, that's how you say it in Hebrew. And so it's not because of that. It's not hard for me to imagine that when Elijah, Eliyahu, marches into the sophisticated royal palace of Ahab and Jezebel, looking like he did with the message that he brought, I can imagine Ahab and Jezebel thinking to themselves, maybe even saying, you Yahoo <laughs> from Yahooville, who do you think you are doing in this place? And speaking of his name, we, we've got to make note of what his name even means. The Hebrew word for God, as some of you know, is the Old Testament Elohim, right? Which is occasionally abbreviated E-L, L. Elijah, the E-L. The word Yah that we see at the end of Elijah's name is the word for Jehovah. So then. In Elijah's name, we find the words God and the word Jehovah. Now, in the middle of that is a little letter I. This is interesting, too, which in Hebrew has reference to the personal pronoun my or mine. Now, when you put the three together, we find Elijah's name meaning my God is Jehovah or the Lord is my God. This is important because and Ahab and Jezebel, as they are in control of the northern kingdom of Israel, at least they think they are, and they are worshiping Baal, when Elijah shows up, his very name, I love this, his very name was making a statement to those false worshiping people. It proclaimed, I have one God. His name is Jehovah. He is the one that I serve. He is the one that I stand for. Folks, we go by the name of Christian, don't we? And is that name bringing that kind of respect and revere to the people that we encounter in our world? Just saying. <laughs> we bear a name. Christian, little Christ. By now, the spiritual chasm between God and his people had reached its all-time biggest and widest gap. And Elijah is standing in that gap in the presence and in the power of God. We are given an interesting insight into the prophet Elijah because at this point, we tend to think, man, that is some power dude. I could never be like that. God could never use me like that. And you want to know what I say to that? Baloney. <laughs> Listen to what James 5.17 says to us. It's in the Bible, I think, for this very reason. Elijah was a man just like us. What are you like? The New King James Version puts it like this. Elijah was a man with a nature just like ours. What's your nature like? As one follows the life of Elijah, it becomes quite clear that he was just a mere mortal. People just like 
us. He was a man with fiery emotions. He was a guy who was prone to bouts of depression, as we will see and learn. He also no doubt suffered from loneliness due to the life of solitude in ministry that he lived. And so the emphasis here, church, is that the Lord is not looking for the beautiful people. He's not looking for the three-piece suit. He's not looking for spiritual giants to use for his glory. He is simply looking for people who will readily obey his word and follow him wherever he leads. You see, nothing at all is known about Elijah till he shows up on the scene. And even then, not a whole lot until he seemingly comes out of nowhere from nowhere in the presence of the king. He was handpicked by God. This nobody from nowhere, this Yehu from Yehuville is handpicked by God. To, to do his will and to carry his message and to see and minister to a wayward nation. God doesn't need the rich and famous. He doesn't need the educated, the intelligent, the movers and the shakers of this world to get his work done. God has always chosen to work through the lives of men and women who will just simply yield themselves to the will of God, who will just simply have on their lips, yes, Lord, because you say so, I will. Yes. Just people simply yielded to to his will, and who will, like Isaiah, in chapter 6, verse 8, here I am. Send me. Use me. The prophet, although rugged in appearance, has a tender heart for God and was determined to stick with the message and with the mission given to him by God. And church, please understand, this is not about a man coming forward filled with hatred and bitterness and meanness for the king and his wife trying to stir up some kind of insurrection. It is not that at all. What it is about is a man passionate about and willing to defend a genuine faith in the living God, one true living God. Jehovah to Elijah was a living, vital, fresh reality. Each of us needs to display that same kind of passion and courage today. America today is headed down the same road that Israel was on back then. We have sacrificed our innocence for the pleasures of our sinful desires. We have openly mocked the written word of God. We have turned a deaf ear to the cry of the millions of the unborn who are slain in the name of convenience. We have paid homage to the onslaught of sexually explicit programming that invades our homes on a daily basis. We have bowed and sacrificed our morality 
to gratify whatever it is that makes us feel good. We have watched this once upon a time great godly nation become reduced to a stagnated cesspool of immorality and open sin and outright hostility to the Lord God Almighty. After Elijah was taken to heaven in a whirlwind, and I love this, Elisha, his protege, took up Elijah's mantle, and it says that he grabbed it and he smacked the Jordan River and shouted out, where is the God of Elijah? And I think that is a question that should be on every Christian's lips today. Where is the God of Elijah? And I would add to that, where are the Elijahs of the Lord God Almighty in our day? Our God is searching for people who will make a difference, who will believe and dare not be mediocre. We dare not slide into the background or blend into the sad complacency of this world. We need to be the people of God who are willing to stand and declare our allegiance to God. His ways and his truth no longer tolerating him with the compromise of the age of this world. Elijah's life, if anything, does and will continue as we work through this in the next few weeks, teaches us what the Lord requires of every single one of us. God looks for special people in difficult times. And when I say special people, again, not talking about the elite, the beautiful. I'm talking about when I say special, those who would just simply say, I believe and I want my life to count. And I want to make a difference. And so, like Isaiah, God, here I am. Send me. Use me. Those people. God's looking for them. God needed someone to shine the light in the darkness of those days. And he's needing folks today to shine his light in the darkness of our day. God looked for somebody who had the backbone to stand alone. Someone who had the courage to say, that's wrong. Someone who was willing to go toe-to-toe with an idolatrous king and his wicked wife and proclaim in their faces, God is God and there is no other. When Elijah made his announcement, he was declaring war on Baal. <laughs> it took great courage to stand up and before the chief promoters of that false religion. And basically, in effect, is saying when he comes on the scene, my God is greater than your little God. <laughs> and to prove it, God is going to shut off the spigot. <laughs> There will be no rain until I say so. And Elijah obviously realizing that it will be God who says so, just saying it through him. And there's nothing, basically, Ahab is saying, or Elijah is saying to Ahab, and there's nothing you, Ahab, or you, Jezebel, or your little dinky 
wimpy bail God can do about it. Folks, where are we, man, in these days? Why is it that we allow all of these false religions and, the, and all of the ways of this world, its compromise and all of its tolerating of this and that, push us around as if there were no God? We serve the living God. Don't you think it's time that we get out there and live like we live and believe in the living God? I think we should. That took courage for Elijah to do what he did. And it is the kind of courage we need to see displayed in our day. Would you agree with that? This is the kind of courage that was derived from time spent with God, getting to know him and his word and his heart. This is the kind of courage that stands up against ridicule. It is the kind of courage that makes a difference for God in these days of self-indulgence. It is the kind of courage that says, I will be different regardless of what it costs me or my family. I'm going to stand for God. How is your courage these days? In our culture, in our schools, in our offices and factories, in our lunchrooms and in our boardrooms. We need men and women of God, young and old, from every walk of life, who will promote the things of God, who will stand alone if need be and stand tall and stand firm and stand strong. By walking into the presence of Ahab and Jezebel, in the name of Jehovah, Elijah was demonstrating that he was totally dependent upon the Lord. He's not trusting in his own ruggedness, nor his strength or abilities, but was resting in the everlasting arms of our everlasting God by faith. You see, there is only one thing that honors God, folks, just one, and it's faith. Hebrews 11.6 tells us, without faith, it is impossible to please God. And so we must come to the place. We have got to come to the place where we kick out all of our fear-based props and rest totally in the hand of divine providence. We must come to the place where we stop trying to and start trusting God to in and through our lives. There are plenty of people out there who are living by plastic, by job, by education, by ability, by intellect, by whatever. What we need are people who will live by faith, depending on nothing but God to meet their needs and enable them to stand in his presence and in his power. Elijah knew that he was standing in that very presence and in that very power, and so can we, church. He is, after all, the same God. 
Unfortunately, a great tragedy exists in the church today, I think, and it is the lack of respect that we have, generally speaking, not us particular, the lack of respect we have for God and his ability and his word. I just want to remind you that we, that we serve a God who can do anything. He can meet any need. He can heal any disease. He can cause anything to take place, and he can stop anything from taking place. He is God. He is all-powerful, nothing too hard for him. And so may God help us to quit living our lives as if he was dead or on some kind of extended vacation. God, help us to remember that he is God and he's God all the time. <laughs> in every situation, regardless of what we face in this life, regardless, regardless, regardless. When we are battling sin, guess what? He's God. When we have a need, he is God. When we're fighting Satan and all of his activities, he is God. He is God again all of the time. Never, ever forget that, church. What he did for people like Elijah, he can do for you and he can do for me. We just have to arrive at that place where we can totally Trust him and his ability. Perhaps you've been thinking lately that somebody else is better qualified for that short-term mission trip, for that community service project. Do you see other people as more special or more gifted or more talented than you? You see, the deal is you just might be missing, if you're thinking there and stuck there, you just might be missing an opportunity that is right in front of you. You may be in the very midst of a ministry and not even realize it. Don't discount anything, folks, because God's methods, as we see in Elijah, can oftentimes, most of the time, I dare say, be surprising. When we're standing alone in faith against all that is against God, ultimately, listen to me, we are standing before him. So when the call comes, will he find us ready and willing to stand for him? Will he find in us hearts that are completely his? Will he be able to say, oh, yes, there's a heart that is completely mine. Yes, there's sufficient commitment there for me to use. Yes, that's the kind of discipline and devotion that I'm looking for. And so no matter what role you fill in this life, Please know, you are significant. You are important. And you are right where God wants you to be. Let him use you there. All for his glory. Amen. And so what spot has God given you? Are you standing strong?
Are you standing firm? Are you standing for him whatever the cost? Just know that whatever it is God says to you, you're standing before me. And I want to see you and use you and in this moment and in this time. Joshua 1.9 becomes a powerful encouragement and powerfully speaks to this very thing that we've been talking about. Have I not commanded you, it says. Don't miss that word. He's not saying, have I not suggested? Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged for the Lord your God. <laughs> Not the person's next to you, God, it's their God too, but your God will be with you wherever you go. This verse is a lifeline, church, in times of uncertainty and fear. It's God's own voice speaking directly into our hearts, urging us to replace fear with faith, weakness with strength, and hesitation with bold action. This verse reminds us that our bravery isn't about being fearless, not even close. It is about moving forward despite the fear because God is for us and with us. This verse is a, is a divine assurance that no matter where we go or what we face, we are not alone. Aren't you thankful for that? His presence is the source of strength and the reason for our boldness and courage. Elijah, a rugged, unsophisticated person, person coming out of nowhere, suddenly stepping into the pages of history. He is, after all, you know, a, a big-time hero and legend in Jewish history. Stepping into the pages of history happens to be, I think, a clear witness of the value of one life that is completely committed to the living God. Folks, look around. I think you would agree with me the need is still great. Yeah? Yes. You know what else? God is still looking <laughs> and he's still searching. What will he find when he looks at you and me? Father, we come before you and I, um, I'm just being impressed right now, Lord, to just lead us all in a, in a prayer that just simply is saying, God, repent. We repent, Lord, and we ask your forgiveness. In those times when we've just yielded to ourselves, made it all about us, 
and in the process kind of like lost sight of you and your purpose for my even being on this planet. God, I pray that in this time of repentance that you would awaken us from our slumber, stir us in our complacency, arouse us in our apathy, bring revival into our hearts, oh God. And may the question continually be on our lips, where is the God of Elijah? And followed with, where are the Elijahs of the Lord God Almighty? And then, may we just look to you and say, God, here I am. I want to be yours. I am tired of living a life of mediocrity. Tired of living a life as if you were dead or on vacation. I want my life to matter. I bear the name Christian. And so God, may it, may it reveal who I represent. And may people see in all of us your passion, compassion, and love, your power, and your presence. And may we settle for nothing less than this. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Wellspring of Life Church in Western Colorado. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please visit wellspringoflifechurch.com. So I will lift up my heart.